Welcome back to Troubleshooting Agile. Hi there, Jeffrey. Hi, Squirrel. So we're starting a new series today. How do you feel about that? I'm super excited. Excellent. And are you super excited because you've talked about it with me and we've decided together, or because you've unilaterally decided that that's how you feel about it? <laughs> you and I collaborated, uh, and now we both have some internal commitment towards it, and I'm uh, very excited that, as well as sharing the material that we will eventually get to. Excellent. Well, so I uh, asked that silly question at the beginning because we're starting a series on unilateral control, and I was suggesting the slightly silly subtitle, uh, uh, how to mess up your Agile team or how not to fix your Agile team. How to have bad communication and poor working relationships. <laughs> Excellent. In five easy steps. Super. So uh, we're going to be talking about how unilateral control undermines team results. This is an article from Roger Schwartz, a writer that you and I, Jeffrey, have read a lot of and a follower of Chris Argyris, the founder of the action science methods that we use a lot. Mm -hmm. And it may not seem immediately relevant to Agile development, but I think we'll be able to, to bring it back at the end, uh, why these might be methods that don't work for getting your team to function better, even though they seem really attractive. You think, wow, this is the, the way to go, right? Yes. Okay. So what I'm going to describe here is the first unilateral control assumption from Schwartz's article, the link in the show notes as usual. And Jeffrey, I'm going to be interested in what you think about it and why it's so attractive. I understand the situation. Those who disagree don't. Whatever information and understanding you bring to the situation, that is the person who's trying to bring about change, are accurate and complete, and so are the conclusions you draw from them. In other words, the way you see things is the way things really are. If your team members hold different views, they just don't get it, are confused, misinformed, or simply clueless. So that's a very attractive point of view, especially if you've just learned about Agile development, say, and you want your team to adopt it. What's wrong with it? Why is it so attractive, too? Well, I, the attractiveness is something that goes well beyond Agile. And it, I w was partially excited about this topic because of some other conversations I was having just this morning. Uh, I was talking to someone about philosophy and that actually the the understandings of philosophy are really applicable to my day-to-day -day work. And one of them is directly related to this, which is that there's a fallacy called naive realism, which is the idea that I see the world directly. Uh, if we think about it, we know that our understanding or picture of the world is being created by our mind uh, and our mind is drawing the kind of the movie we see in front of us. It's not like we're just sensing things directly. Uh, and then we know that sort of in a sense, both biologically and we had that insight from philosophy previously. And yet, while we know that intellectually, experientially, we see the world as it is. And that feeling that we, we see the world as it is uh, translates uh, into this kind of view that um, not only do we see the world, but we understand it. Uh, everything that we, beyond just sort of the, the world in front of us, but the, our work environment and the, the uh, interactions here, what people need, what's going on, that we uh, have a, a really firm grasp of them. So the same sort of illusion of naive realism then pervades our world and relates to making just fundamental assumptions about what's going on on this project and among this team and what we should do. It's obvious, you know, what, what's happening. 
And that's one of the signals that maybe you're suffering from this particular assumption. Uh, I was actually trying to think of several examples of, of this, and I, I, was, I was drowned in examples from my own work <laughs> where people are suffering from this, including me often. Yes. Uh, but there was one who was most clear, and it was uh, a client from this summer. The particular person I was working with and coaching had done a lot of the initial work for the team, had written the original code, had set up the architecture, had discovered the business problems and the constraints in this particular business and so on, and had a very deep understanding of what was going on and therefore would quite naturally and quite clearly say, well, I'm the right person to solve these problems. I know exactly what to do. And he literally would stay until very, very late at night past midnight in the office making changes to the software and then he would leave detailed notes for people to uh, get in the morning and they they would say things like well obviously we needed to do this set of things i've done them and now all you have to do i've done the hard work for you all you have to do is make the software conform to my changes by the way i broke everything <laughs> but all you have to do is fix it again so it works the right new way Yes, And for some reason, people didn't like that. That that was not a way of making changes that was really working. And we can all laugh when we're outside the situation. But to him, it really made sense. And I could see why, because he understood it much more deeply than they did. That was true. He, he had much more context and, and knowledge. But unfortunately, he wasn't including them in the process, nor was he including new information that they were discovering. And so that was not working. This assumption was not working well for him. We had to undo that. And first thing was get him to work more normal hours. Yeah. That's getting kind of like what the right thing to do is. But before that, like this fallacy, this this um, assumption of unilateral control really is a sense of perception. And uh, what I liked there in your example is you said like that there was a time where he knew everything. He was the only person doing the work, if I understand that correctly. Yeah, that's right. And then later... Uh, new people come in, they start doing other work, they learn new things, there's new information being generated. But that sense of mastery that he had probably never went away, that his idea that I understand everything. Exactly. And I think when it comes to that, why, why I really like calling this out is, is two things. One is it's just it's so pervasive. And secondly, when we think about it, it becomes easier to understand why we have this pervasive problem, which is it's kind of like the unknown unknowns uh, problem. What What's going on? We're not aware not of what other people are learning. We kind of forget that that's even possible, that other people would have information we don't have. Mm -hmm. And it's a very seductive notion to think, well, it, it's a coherent story. It, it makes sense to me, and therefore I'm going to adopt it. And uh, those of you who know us will know we're about to start talking about System 1 and System 2 from Kahneman's work, and we won't do that today. I'll just stop by saying I'll stop there and say it's very seductive to say I know how it's working, y and yes. that's the danger. When you when you hear that, that's the signal. I think we both have examples where where we've done that. Absolutely, for me myself, one of the things I I became aware of is I had a habit very often of using the word obvious in explanations, and it, it, at some point it was tied to this physical gesture where I would raise my hand and say oh, it's it's obvious, and over time I realized well if I have to say it's obvious then it's, that's probably a sign it's not actually obvious. I'm sort of invalidating my own claim or I wouldn't have to be saying this. And for that matter, then why is my hand in the air? And sort of that has become like a physical reminder to myself if I find myself raising my hand saying, but it's obvious, 
that I should stop and, and and I now have developed the habit of saying, okay, it's it's not obvious, but it's it is the feeling is it must be because it's so clear to me. And then I've been able to learn that actually it turns out. <laughs> That's a signal that you're almost certainly wrong. Yes. There's something you're missing. Well, I need to at least be open to it because it's not that it's not that if you become aware that we have, are subject to these fallacies and cognitive biases, um, we have the cognitive biases because they very often do work. Oftentimes we have a feeling about what's obvious and we're right. And that's great. The problem is we're right so frequently in a sense we become blind to the idea that there's times where we're not right. So if I have a feeling that I need to explain something that's obvious to someone, it becomes a trigger to maybe ask them what's obvious to them. What are, what are they seeing? Indeed. And I like how that covers the I understand the situation side. The thing that I tend to look for is on the other side that those who disagree don't. The signal for me, for myself and my own behavior, but I also train my clients to look out for it is the signal, I'm going to convince so-and-so. I'm going to convince them of this. All I have to do is convince them. I mean, if they were just convinced, if I could just convince them, I, I tend to just remove that word from my vocabulary, and I encourage my clients to do the same. Because if you're if you're making the assumption that they need convincing, then that means that you are viewing yourself as understanding the situation and that they do not. Yes. And that is unlikely to work in convincing them the worst way to convince someone is to say, let me just convince you of this. Yeah. <laughs> very, very rarely works. And also you miss the opportunity to be convinced yourself and to learn something new. Maybe it'll work better if I say, well, look, you don't understand. <laughs> you're, you're, there's something you need to understand you don't understand. That, that's not likely to work. That's, that would not be our recommendation. Right. So if we go back to our idea of the, these, these are you know steps that you can take if you want to undermine your agile team. Exactly. <laughs> you and I were going down, apparently apparently this step was obvious because you and I were both taking it. Then you, you can adopt this assumption. Mm -hmm. If you feel right about something, uh, you know, go with that. Uh, assume that you're right. And if anyone uh, seems to disagree with you, then you can just assume that they're, uh, that they're not understanding the situation. And, you know, maybe they're confused. You just need to explain it to them more, more slowly. That, that's right. Maybe get them to listen to this podcast with Jeffrey and Squirrel. And they, <laughs> as soon as they listen, then it'll be obvious. It'll be obvious. They'll be convinced. It'll be great. So that, there you go. That's how you can uh, uh, not succeed. And we'll make several more suggestions in further episodes about how to fail at making substantial and important changes in your Agile team. Yep. And we can't wait to, to bring those to you. Excellent. So if you enjoyed this session, we certainly did, then please subscribe to us and uh, come in for the, the next few episodes in this uh, series on unilateral control and how to mess up your Agile team. And of course, we're also interested in your comments and your thoughts at troubleshootingagile.com. Just drop us an email and let us know what you're thinking. And if you've been uh, convinced or if you're, uh, if you're convinced something is obvious, then uh, give us some examples that we could look at and uh, we'll pick those up in future episodes. Yeah, I wonder if any of our listeners will have ever uh, experienced this situation. I predict all of them have, so I'll be interested to, to see what they have to say. That's right. Okay. Thanks, Jeffrey. Thanks, Squirrel.